The following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Remain standing, if you would, as you open your Bibles to the book of Amos. I'm sorry, I'm looking at Amos, to the book of Obadiah. Book of Obadiah. Obadiah, we're in the only chapter of Obadiah. We're going to be in verse 15, if we could start there this morning. It says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions." And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they uh, shall possess the... Uh, fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead and the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites even unto Zarephath and the captivity of Jerusalem which is in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south and saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau and the kingdom of shall be the Lord's. Father, we ask that you would touch our hearts this morning with your word, and that you would open our minds and our eyes, remove anything that could be a distraction, we pray. Help us to not become distracted, and help us to not be a distraction. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's kind of start things off with a question this morning. I guess the question that uh, is on many people's minds as they uh, go through Christendom, that that as they make their way through uh, the Word of God, uh, if you have never wrestled with this question, uh, you know, praise the Lord. Uh, But I know I have, and I know many people wrestle with this idea, and it's simply this, how does the justice of God fit with the grace and mercy of God? 
This is, these two things pretty much seem diametrically opposed. You, you have justice, which is where uh, uh, things are uh, dealt out based on what you deserve and what you have earned, and you have mercy. So I like to liken it uh, to uh, if I was backing out of the church parking lot uh, this morning and my car backed right into your car, maybe I had... Uh, uh, children around me, and I wasn't pay, I wasn't paying close enough attention. And all of a sudden, as I'm backing out, I slam right into the side of your car. And there's about fifteen hundred dollars worth of damage, unless you're driving something a whole lot nicer than what I drive. There, if you're driving what I drive, it might be like a five dollar damage. I don't know, but it, it, some 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 source of uh, monetary value has been made evident, right? And you come out, and I'm standing there, and I'm just thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I have just done this to somebody else's car. Oh, why couldn't it have been Jeff's car, you know? <clears throat> but you come out, and you look at it, and you have two options, really. Well, Pastor, you need to pay for that. Or don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Now, you have one which would be just. The right thing or the fair thing or the just thing would be for me to pay for the damages that I have done. And so you take it to uh, the body shop and, and the, the guy looks at you and after he him hauls around for a little bit and, and then he starts to give you a number and you let him know, well, I'm not the one paying for it. And then he goes, oh, well, let me give you a different number, right? And, and so... Uh, you have the idea there that somebody owes someone something, and for you to look at it and say, yes, you need to pay for that, I'll take it down, I'll get to the shop, I'll get an estimate, I'll let you know what it costs, and then you come back and you let me know the price, and here it is, I owe $1,500 worth of damages or whatever it may be. That would be just for me to pay it. Now, you might be feeling pretty good about yourself and you have a few extra Biden bucks sitting in your back pocket or something, I don't know, and you decide, you know what, Pastor, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll get it taken care of myself. You know, I, I got this extra tax tax money, this extra tax return, whatever it was. I got this extra money off to the side and I was just wondering, what am I going to use this for? Thank you, Lord, for the blessing. And you know what, Pastor? Mercy is going to be shown. You don't have to pay for it. You see, you can't have mercy and justice at the same time. And some say, well, what if I only made you pay half of it? Well, you're only giving me half justice and half mercy. You're not fully being merciful and you're not fully being just. You see, the two are opposed to one another. And so where we really kind of run into issue here oftentimes, and I think a lot of uh, misunderstandings about several different areas in Scripture and several different uh, theological discussions really kind of come down to this understanding of justice, God being 100% fully just and giving to man what he deserves, and God being 100% fully merciful, fully gracious. And we wonder how in the world can God be just and merciful at the same time? time. I want you to, if you, if you can, go over to the book of Romans with me. Look at Romans chapter number three. Keeping your hand here in the book of Obadiah, you can put an offering envelope there, and then when you're done using it as a bookmark, you can do something else with it. <laughs> Look at Romans chapter three with me. 
starting in verse number 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. How can one be just and at the same time be a justifier? Now, if we read our Bible for any amount of time, we can find very quickly that it says, talking about the worldly judges, and when uh, when the... Uh, the um, uh, wisest man Solomon was writing and talking about judges and the way they judge and how they should not judge the, uh, 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 unjustly and they should be just, they should be fair, they should be right, they should meet things out right. It says, whoever condemneth the, uh, the, the righteous or excuses or justifieth the ungodly is an abomination to God. And so how can God justly pass judgment, but at the same time, be the justifier. This is a struggle for many people, and we've got to really kind of face the idea because what we run into is this idea of fairness. And I have been asked many times through the years things like, well, how can you believe that someone can get saved and then live like hell and still go to heaven? Can I help you understand something? I don't. So you're saying that someone can lose their salvation? I did not say that. So you're saying that someone can say a prayer and then go the rest of their life living however they want and, 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 and it, it's, it's not a big deal, but since they said a prayer once upon a time in their, in their younger years, they're still saved and they're okay? I did not say that. You see, I believe God is fully just. But I also believe he's a justifier. But if you look at Romans 3 here, we see how that, is, how that works out. Look at what it, no, at, at it notes there in verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He is the justifier of those who have recognized their sinful situation, have turned from their wicked ways, and have followed hard after Christ. If all you did was mumble a few words in a sinner's prayer, but you never chose to actually follow Christ, my friend, you are unsaved. That's a difficult thing for people to hear, especially when we start comparing ourselves to other people or we start comparing our loved ones to other people. So you're telling me that this, uh, this person that I know who claims to be a Christian but lives like hell, but my son over here who's a good guy, he's a really good kid, but you know he, 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 he's, he's not living a Christ-honoring life, but he's a good kid, preacher. This guy over here, he says he's a Christian, but he lives like the devil. My son lives more like Christ, but he's not actually true. So 
you're telling me that he's going to go to heaven and he's going to, or that he's going to go to hell and he's going to go to heaven? No, I did not say that. I think both are in problems. I think both are in trouble. We need to see where God's justice and his grace come together. We need to see that this morning. Going back, if you want to put your offering envelope over in Romans now, jump back to uh, Obadiah. Back to Obadiah. Notice what it says here. It says, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. We've made our way here through the book of Obadiah, and we've seen several different things in Obadiah. We've been looking specifically at some of the uh, uh, things as far as Edom is concerned, the violence against his brother Jacob, and the way the, uh, the descendants of Esau treated the descendants of Jacob. We can go back just a couple of uh, verses and see some of this. Look at verse 13. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. We need to realize something here, my friends. Everything, everything is bare and naked before God. The Edomites were not able to do these horrible things and hide from God. They were seen. They were, it was made very evident before God. He saw it all. My friend, we need to understand what sin really and truly is. It's anything that we say, do, or think. That's how we, I teach the kids this way. It's sin is anything that we say, anything that we do, and anything that we think that breaks God's law. You see, if, if I was to, uh, to take someone and say, okay, it, sin is anything that you say that breaks God's law, well, we might be able to duct tape them. And some of you ladies are thinking about your husbands right now. You're telling me that we can duct tape my husband so he can't say anything? Yeah, we can do that. We can do it to you too. Duct tape goes both ways, you know. Well, so now I'll never say anything that'll break God's law. Outstanding. What about the things that you do that breaks God's law? Well, let's say we tie us to a chair so that I'll never get up and go break God's law. I'll never, I'll never go rob a bank because I'm tied to a chair all my life. Okay, well, we've shut your mouth. We've made you immobile. So you can't say anything that'll break God's law and you can't do anything that'll think God's law. You got this thinker up here. You remember when Jesus said, as a man thinketh, so he is. Jesus said it this way. He says, if you've looked upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. If you've hated your brother without cause, you've committed murder. It's up here. And so you may think to yourself, well, I've never robbed a bank. Or I, I, I've never committed murder. I've never done any bad things. And you know what? I've got a, my, my tongue. I don't let myself, I don't, I don't, I try not to tell lies. I had an uncle that actually believed that the only thing he had ever done wrong was he said a curse word when he stepped on a, on a uh, bulb, on a Christmas bulb. That's all you've done wrong. Yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. 
Oh, let me talk to your sisters on this one. Right? The, the mind. What we think. God sees that. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing. As we look at this, Scripture is clear that true salvation is an abandoning of self and a following after God. That's true salvation. True salvation is not read the back of this track, repeat after me, sign it, and yeah, you're good to go. I'm not against tracks. I think tracks are absolutely wonderful. But we need to be serious here for a minute. This repeat after me type of salvation, ooh, now. It's about what's here. Yes, the, the, the Bible does say with the mouth confession is made. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. If the two don't meet, the confession of the mouth is of no effect. So let's understand a few things here. What is justice? Let's, let's kind of start with that one. What is justice? Uh, justice is often misunderstood, and many try to equate justice uh, and mercy into this sort of intertwined idea that people should be given leniency and second chances. Most people desire second chances for their own selves and their loved ones. But let someone come up and knock the soup out of you. How quick are you to give them a second chance? Let someone violate a trust. How quick are you to give them a second chance? Let someone offend your child. How quick are you to give them a second chance? Now, if it was you, you'd want the second or third or fourth or fifth or tenth chance, right? But we're not quick to give everybody else. Maybe our son or our daughter or our neighbor's kid. And this is where we've really got to kind of get things under wraps. What is true justice? Oxford English Dictionary explains justice this way. It is the, uh, the vindication of right by assignment of reward or punishment. Another definition is to render what is due by acknowledgement of one's merits. And so in looking at God's justice, what does it mean for God to be just? Let me give it to you this way. God's justice would be God giving to man what he has earned and what he deserves. That's God's justice. Now let's think about it and be very real for a moment. It's not a matter of your good days outweighing your bad days. Let's, let's take, for example, um, a mass murderer walks into a, a mall or into a school. We've had some of those things recently, right? And just shoots a bunch of people. We're talking about one day amongst how many that he has lived. Maybe the vast majority of his life is a good kid. Does his good outweigh his bad? 
or should he be recompensed for each of those situations? Something that would be just would be for him to receive reward based on his good days and for him to receive reward based on his bad days. That would be just. And then here's the problem. How good were his good days and how bad were his bad days? Ooh. You see, that scale really starts to move back and forth a good bit, right? But true justice is not looking at the amount of good outweighing the bad. It's rewarding both. So if you show up uh, Monday through Thursday and you're supposed to work from 9 to 5, and you show up Monday through Thursday, 9 to 5, but on Friday you sleep in and you don't show up until noon, you're not going to get paid for 9 to 5 on Friday, are you? And you very well might be called into the uh, boss's office. You see, you need to be rewarded equally. God's justice is doing exactly that, giving to man exactly what he has earned and what he deserves. Let's look at this a, a couple other ways because we need to see, uh, need to come to realize God is perfect. And because I believe in a perfect God, I also believe in a perfect justice from God. Notice what it says in verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, they shall swallow down, they shall be as though they had not been but upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. There shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph, a flame. And the house of Esau, for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. We need to realize just how just God is. Now, if you took some time and you wanted to really dig into this a little bit more, you could go back into Exodus chapter 21, and you can read uh, around uh, 22 to 24. You can find where God talks about uh, how, how things ought to be fair and just. He even refers to, he says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, life for life. And a lot of that, the, the main reason for that was because if, uh, if you came along and uh, you, know, you knocked my tooth out, that doesn't mean that I get to come along and cut your hand off. All right? It needs to be met fairly. It needs to be fair judgment. You come along and you knock my tooth out, the judgment would be that something of equivalent of your tooth to be paid. Some sort of restitution needs to be made, but it needs to be fair. God works this way too. God works this way. So people can say all they want. Well, I think when I get to heaven, God's going to see how many good things I did, and he's going to reward those, and he's going to see how many bad things I did, and, and he'll, he'll, he'll take it into account. Mm -hmm. Yes, he will. He will take those into account. 
and he will reward based on those things as well. Can I ask you a question? Based on just the last 24 hours, don't go over your whole life. Just go the last 24 hours. And the only thing God judged was your thought life. Do you want the rewards? When that guy cut you off yesterday, when that cashier couldn't count money to hand it back to you, when the waitress took a little too long to refill your cup, when your husband or wife said something snarky to you, how's your thought life been just in the last 24 hours? When that favorite musician or actor or actress was on the television yesterday. You want to be rewarded for those thoughts? God is just. And if you want him to take those things into consideration, he will. Some look at this and understand and misunderstand God's justice being as perfect as he is. But we need to understand he does not punish certain crimes and ignore other ones. This is why in the book of James it talks about if you've offended in one, you've offended in all of them. He says, I will punish based on sin, not based on which ones and how many. Or any. No, I will punish based on sin. That's God's, that's God's ruling. He doesn't go overboard. He always repays fairly. Just and fair punishment, understand this, just and fair punishment matches with the value of what and who has offended us. Understand the measure of punishment. The measure of punishment uh, for the offender must be in keeping with the value of the object or person that has been offended. Let me give an, an, an example of that. If, um, if I'm riding my bike down the road and somebody comes a little too close and runs me off the road, a 42-year-old, 200-pound man getting run off the road, right? Now, let's take my youngest daughter, Abby, put her in the same situation. Which one's more dangerous? My little girl, Abby, being run off the road, right? That's a bigger deal. Let's, let's take things, uh, let's, let's go down the road of theft. Let's say someone comes into my house and steals my TV. I'm going to be a little upset, right? Because now I can't watch MacGyver or whatever. I don't know what you watch. But now let's say that that same person came into my house and stole my kid. That's a bigger deal, isn't it? That's a bigger deal altogether. We need to understand that the, the measure of punishment for the offender must be in keeping with the value of the object or person that has been offended. In getting that, here's what we need to realize. You offend me, that's one thing. 
but I'm not as valuable as God. You offend God, the punishment should be steeper. You offend him, you, uh, you reject me, eh, two of us just lost out on something. You lost out on a great relationship with a great man. And I lost out on a night's sleep. I don't know. But you reject him. You're rejecting a whole lot more. Do you see how the punishment needs to go up based on the value of the individual or the value of the offense? Let's come back. Let's circle back on this because we need to understand what verse 15 says at the very beginning of it. It says, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. What is this day of the Lord? Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more uh, once we get into the book of Joel. I'm looking forward to that. And as we go through, you're going to see this day of the Lord, day of the Lord, day of the Lord repeated over and over and over. Uh, Many would like to zero in on specific days in the timelines of people. And so for the day, the day of the Lord for this group was one thing. The day of the Lord for Edom took place at this event. The day of the Lord for, but here's really, really kind of where I want to uh, help us to understand something. Uh, many times, times of adversity were often called the day of the Lord. For example, Isaiah 13, verse 6 says, How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as as a destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah 13, verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Uh, Ezekiel 30, verse 3 says, "For uh, For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. A cloudy day, it shall be the time of the heathen. Joel 115, alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Uh, Joel 2, 1, blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Uh, Joel 3, 14, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near the valley of decision. Uh, Obadiah 15 here, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. Uh, Zephaniah 1, 7, hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Uh, for the day of the Lord, uh, for the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. Uh, he hath bid his guests. Ze- uh, Zephaniah 1, 14, the day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasten greatly. Uh, Zechariah 14.1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. 1 Thessalonians 5.2, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. We need to understand what is going to take place. This day of the Lord is a day that is a great day. It is, a, it is to be a, a day that is, is to be seen in reverential awe. It is a day that ought to be feared by many. It is a day that is, is near to all the heathen. It is a day that is going to come, and it is the day. The day of the Lord is the day when his patience runs out, and God says, I've had enough. That's the day of the Lord. 
and so many people are looking forward to the day of the Lord who ought to be trembling in fear. See, the day of the Lord is not going to be a cakewalk. I believe it's the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some will say, praise God, he's here. Others will say, uh-oh, and run. But you can't get away from it. You can't get away from it. Here's what I want us to see this day of the Lord and comprehend what it actually uh, is. It's a not just it's not just the day for heathen or for, for Edom, but notice what it says in verse 15 for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. Does that mean the day of the Lord is not near to those of us who are born again by the Spirit of God? It's not what he's saying. All of those references that I just read through, one thing that they have in common, and the day of the Lord is used some 28 or 29 times in the Bible. I want to say it's 28. 29. Thank you, Dale. I knew Dale would know that number. But in all of these references... Here's what we find. It is at hand. It is near. How can it be near to the Edomites some almost 3,000 years ago and at the same time today be near? Right? The idea is not a timeline. The idea is imminence. You don't know when the day of the Lord is coming. And this is what Paul in 1 Thessalonians and Peter in 2 Peter is talking about when he says, the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. You're not going to be prepped for it. You're not going to be told. Hey, no, no thief goes, hey, uh, make sure you're not home tomorrow. I'm coming to loot your, loot your house. Uh, can you leave the alarm off too? Put the dog away. I don't want to have to deal with the yapping. No. He shows up and you're surprised. That's the way the day of the Lord, it is near. And my friends, today you are closer to that day than you have ever been. When I was young as a kid, I'd hear preachers say that. I'd hear people come for revival. Today, the day of the Lord is closer than it's ever been. I'm like, yeah, duh. It didn't come 2,000 years ago, and it's not come yet. As a kid, you're like, I got time, right? You don't know that. You don't know that. The point is not that it could happen sometime within the next year but it could happen while we are here at this church service right now. Are you ready to face it? Are you prepared to face the Lord on his day? Let's look at just a couple more things. The 
this idea of nearness, sometimes we see the mercy of God. We see his long suffering, and those are beautiful things to note. But here's really where things happen. Lord, thank you for being merciful to me. But don't try to get more mercy. It may run out. That's what we need to understand. And so many people, they look at this idea back here in Obadiah, back in the 800s BC, Obadiah is prophesying about the day of the Lord. And we say, well, hadn't happened then. I got plenty of time too. No, 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 my friend. The day of the Lord can happen at any moment. Just because God has given you second, third, fourth, and fifth chances does not mean he will give you any more. You are hearing the gospel right today. This may be the last time you do. You may for the last time in this eternity be hearing about the presentation of a just God who will one day hand you exactly what you deserve. And you may say, no big deal, I got time. And walk out of this place still not knowing Christ. Now, that'd be a pretty dismal message if we just prayed and go home. But let's look at the rest. I want you to note how God's grace and how his justice come together. There are many who try to deny the reality of an eternal hell, and they claim something along the lines of grace goes against God's loving, merciful, and gracious nature. And there are many popular theologians who have gone down this road, some that probably many of you read and know well and love to read their, their, their expositions or their commentaries. John Stott, for example. He erred. We need to understand what the word of God truly teaches in this. We need to understand exactly what he is saying in this. That God is just because we do not like to think of ourselves as deserving of any punishment. We do not like to think of ourselves as being under the heavy hand of God. We want to think of ourselves as just being loved, 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 loved. And, 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 and it, we don't like to think in those terms, and we definitely don't want to put it on someone else, because if we put it on someone else, then we've got to sit under it ourselves. And we have, Well, if God's going to do that to them, then we've got to be honest and say, well, he'll do it to me too. And so we want to try to excuse those things out. But I love reading old preachers. And one of the uh, preachers I was reading this week, and, and, and we sat on, uh, took the kids out. We sat on the beach for a little while. And here I am reading this thick book. And my wife's just looking at me saying, you have no idea how to relax, do you? This is relaxing to me. Huh? I'm reading Jonathan Edwards. I mean, how much more relaxing do you need to be? <laughs> He has a message entitled, The Justice of God in the Damnation of Sinners. If you've never read it, please do so. The Justice of God in the Damnation of Sinners by Jonathan Edwards. 
some of the things that he points out. He says, can one honestly say that they have ever loved God even in the slightest measure? Can we? Can we honestly say that? The first commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Can we honestly say that we have even tipped the ice, chipped the oak tree in that love? You see, John said it this way in First John. He says, we love him because he loved us. Have you ever just loved him because he was deserving of love? No, we respond to his love. None of us have ever initiated anything. Most only come to God because of what he can do for them, not because of what he genuinely is, the creator, the sustainer, the provider. Most people only come to God when they have a problem. They show up to church after missing church for for years on end, and they show up going, oh, preacher, I need you to do something for me. My life's in shambles. And they start to come to church, and they, they come week after week after week. You see them praise the Lord. Maybe this time it sticks, but then before long, life's back, and it's going good now. I guess I don't need to go to church anymore. As if God is some sort of genie in a bottle or some cosmic vending machine. We can show up to church whenever we want to. We can open up his, oh, I'm going to read this Bible. I'm going to get into it and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devour it. I'm going to read this whole thing through in a year, preacher. And it's going to get started. And what they did, we got into Leviticus. Well, God didn't expect me to read the whole thing, did he? Some of you all have had conversations about Leviticus and you're like, you're a nut. That's my favorite book, you know that? Numbers, Lord have mercy. And, oh, I'm going to read a psalm a day until it gets to Psalm 119, and then I think I'll read a part of a psalm a day. Right? And the whole time, God bless me for my efforts. God, do something for me. Here's what we need to understand. To think little of God and keep back the worship of our maker truly deserves is heinous and should God not equally treat us with the same contempt for him to be just and for us to treat him with contempt for him to be fair he should treat us the same way people say well well what about that guy who lived his whole life rejecting God but what you know when, when we're in heaven and he sees, he sees God. How horrible, if, if you wanted to be, eh, let's, let's take it this way. Let's look at it like this. My wife will go grocery shopping and she'll say to the kids, anybody want to go with me? Where are you going, mom? To the grocery store. Nah, I'm gonna just stay here and watch SpongeBob. One of them, from time to time, one of them will say, yeah, I want to go with you, Mom. I'll go with you. And then what happens? You know, they're out and they're grocery shopping, and Mom's just got one of them, and she's just having a good time with one of them, and then they come home, and the one's got ice cream or something, right? And the others go, that's not fair. Where's my ice cream? I invited all of you to go. Only one of you wanted to. 
And so only one of you got the reward. Well, that's not fair. All of you were invited. But only one of you accepted the invitation. Would it be fair of God for a man all his life to reject God? And I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to listen to your words. I don't want to listen to your ways. I want to do it my way. What would be fair? For him to force himself upon that man and say, you're coming to live with me for eternity, whether you like it or not. Or to say, okay. You get what you want. People don't want to hear it that way. But God is just. But note this. Willingness to not be damned is not the same as willingness to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me say that again. And you might even want to write that one down to make sure it sinks in. Willingness to not be damned is not the same as willingness to accept Christ as Savior. To accept Christ as Savior is to lay down my will and follow him, to admit my lowliness, to admit my need of a savior, to admit my sins and my inadequacies, to admit all of that and to accept his sovereignty. That's accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. Willingness to just not be damned is only concerned with self. So you're saying I can either burn for eternity or walk on streets of gold. I'll take the gold. It's not the same thing. Not the same thing. No one would choose misery. Being willing to let God keep you from misery? Sure. You see, I want us to understand something. God does not just ignore sin. He doesn't. So, back to our original question. How does God's justice and grace Look again with me, if you would, at Romans 3. We're going to prepare to make our conclusion here. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely, though, by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, pause for station identification. You guys can put your seat backs up and unbuckle. We're getting ready to make a landing here. Get ready for this. Christ took your punishment. Catch what's being said in that. 
Many times we look at forgiveness, and going back to my analogy of if I backed into your car, if I backed into your car and you said, it's okay, it's a piece of junk anyway, preacher, leave the dent there. Justice and mercy, neither one were really meant. Or maybe you could say mercy was given, but you never went and got it repaired. Justice was never served. Where it comes to Christ, I want you to see what took place here. God does not just say forgiven and ignores the crime. Someone still paid for the sin. Someone still took your spot and lived in that, that hell for that, that moment of time where all sin was poured onto him who his own self bore your sins in his body on that tree. You see, here's what we think is, is God just forgave sin and he just lets you go scot-free? No, my friend. He pronounced guilty and then took the punishment himself. I was reading one theologian who said it this way. Hell is not complete, is not being separated from God for eternity. Hell is actually being in the presence of God for eternity without an advocate. So for all of eternity, you are getting justice because your sin needs to be purged, needs to be punished, needs, needs, to be, needs to be completely eradicated. So for all eternity, that's where you will be. But if you are clothed in Christ's righteousness, if you come to God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, not of your own merits, not of how good you are, or how you tried to raise your kids, or how sweet they were when they were growing up, none of that matters. The only thing that matters when I approach God is does he see the the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's it. And Jesus went to the cross willingly for you. He went willingly. He says, no man takes my life. I give it. I lay it down. He did that for your son, for your daughter, for your neighbor, for your mom, for your aunt, for your uncle, for your cousin, for that niece and that nephew. He did it for them. And no matter how good you may think they are, unless they come to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, they will stand forever in the justice of God, void of the grace. Not because he doesn't want to give it, but because he's not going to force himself on anyone. They rejected it. What about you? Let me ask you this. Are you ready for the day of the Lord? Or will that be, day be a dread for you? Maybe you're ready for that. But someone you love is not. What are you doing to help them? Are you wasting away the days of grace for them? Are you letting them just flit through life and just have a good old time? It's okay. Hopefully God will like you enough. 
Or are you telling them the truth and showing them the grace of God? Have you truly trusted Christ as your Savior? Or are you only trusting him as a get-out-of-hell card? There's a difference. There's a difference. Have you allowed your pride to deceive you into thinking you are fine? In Galatians, Paul says it this way, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. What about you? Have you mocked God? Are you deceived? Are you mocking God and de- helping deceive someone else? Oh, it's going to be okay. It'll be all right. God loves you just the way you are. No. That's the whole purpose of the cross, folks, because the way you were is not right. But Christ can save. If that's you this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I cannot, I, I cannot plead with you anymore. Any, any more than I already have. See the day of the Lord at hand. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised to make it home for dinner. And that daughter of yours or that son of yours or that neighbor of yours or that spouse of yours, are they ready? Are they ready to face him? You can only do so through Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for being just. Thank you for being fair and right perfectly. And thank you, Father, for being merciful and for giving grace beyond grace. I pray, dear Father, that you would open our hearts to the truth of your word this morning that you would change us from the inside out, that you would affect in us, Lord, a desire to carry this truth out to the rest of this world. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake. Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, 
You may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.